0: CJSW's funding drive is on right now. Head over to cjsw.com to show your support for this program. CJSW 90.9 FM, your beacon radio. <laughs>
1: This is CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary,
2: broadcasting on Treaty 7.
3: Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. Ravedad's Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. In Hour 1 of today's episode, I talked to Pete Ems and Sarmad Rizvi about the early days of Calgary's Hi-Fi Club. In hour two, I check in with CJSW 90.9 FM's music director, Hayley Muir, and we'll hear a mix of classic bloghouse bangers from around 2007 by DJ Chris B. But first, I want to shout out Homesick for making a logo for Rave Dad's Diary. It's exactly what I wanted. Thank you. Check it out on the Rave Dad's Diary Instagram, at Rave Dad's Diary.
1: Killing on the dance floor. Another killing on the dance
3: floor. What? Okay, you look great. I really like those multicolored Nike SBs. The red pants are stunning. That purple shirt with the all-over print, I like it a lot. Just throw on some shutter shades and some gold chains and let's go. We're late. We gotta go. In 2007... Myself and my friend Sheena, who you met in Episode 2 of Rave Dad's Diary, discovered Calgary's Hi-Fi Club. We made it our mission to infiltrate the club and make it our own. We went to all the shows, MasterCraft, Steve Aoki, Boy's Noise, I wore a headband and a purple deep V. Remember those? The staff and regulars of Hi-Fi from that era remain some of my closest friends. I went on to work for Hi-Fi Club almost a decade after Sheena and I first set foot there. To get an idea of what Hi-Fi Club was like in its early days, I reached out to one of the owners, Pete Ems, and Hi-Fi Club's GM and booker, Sarmad Rizvi. A few characters come up in this interview that deserve special attention. Mike Grimes, a.k.a. Grimy, is a Hi-Fi Club owner and Pete's DJ partner in small-town DJs. Graham First is also one of the owners and founders of the club. These guys have mentored me in the business, and they've always had my back. Much love to the Hi-Fi family, past and present. There's a lot to talk about in the present moment, but let us escape for a few moments uh, into the past. I want to go to 2007 you can still smoke cigs in the club uh, a lot of misguided people think that fedoras are cool still in 2007 C- can you describe what the club what the hi-fi club looked like back in 2007 what did it look like when you came in the entrance what was the atmosphere
2: first of all Sarm, did you ever wear a fedora i feel like Absolutely uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like I, I might have worn one on occasion maybe once or twice uh Limit, limited wear but it was definitely part of my wardrobe.
3: I saw a picture of Hi-Fi Club in 2007 like going through some memories and there were a dozen
4: fedoras in the picture. <laughs> yeah. It's shocking. It's jarring. I've been uh because we did that art art auction and I was going down memory lane. I was writing like actually putting the auction up. I was writing little blurbs of all the artists and we got up to laser fangs and I was like I got to find some info and I stumbled across this that WordPress blog that he had. It's only got two he must have just done it and it, like not continued with it but it had two shows on there but you know fit 80 photos per show and it was it was hilarious to see i i had some bad hair um yeah it, it's funny definitely some fedoras in the background
3: i'm now that you've mentioned laser fangs uh photographer scott for k yeah. uh, we need to find some images from laser fangs and i gotta post those on the rave dad's diary oh, instagram because that's some gold
2: it- man it there's uh it's definitely a time capsule I mean in two thousand seven and eight we Mike and I small town had just got booked to start going down in Las Vegas on a weekly basis, so there was that whole element of excitement from our
3: standpoint and then d j s from Calgary booked at a Las Vegas residency. How did that happen
2: yeah I mean so uh thievery Corporation got put in charge of the music at the Mandalay Bay and and the MGM Grand Hotels. And they were basically programming like the lobby music and everything. And they they renovated the lobby bar at the Mandalay Bay to be a club in the excitement of in the club global movement of excitement in, in the, uh, you know, the aughts. And so uh, they hired Fort Knox five to program the music at this one specific club. And because they're friends from Washington D.C. and and so Fort Knox, uh, you know, they loved what we were doing up here. They they came up here regularly to play at Hi-Fi and at Shambala. And so uh, they booked uh, Matt the Alien and Vinyl Richie to play on Thursdays, um, Small Town to play on Fridays, and Fort Knox played Saturdays. So so we would play at Hi-Fi on on Thursdays and then fly down every Friday morning to play at Mandalay Bay. And then they would fly us wherever we needed to go on the Saturday. So um, it really opened up things for us in the U.S. And, and and all over the place and, you know, playing in Mexico and things like that. And then, um, but it was, you know, it was right around that time. It was 2007, 2008. Uh, we did it for close to a year every Friday, so.
3: Sarmad, what do you remember about the club in that era,
4: Um, well, I'll just touch on the Vegas thing real quick because they started playing down there and then I felt like it was my duty to go down like once a month (laughs) and Vegas is not a place you go once a month. So uh, (laughs) after they finished their residency, I pretty much told myself I'd never go back there and I've never been back to Vegas.
3: How many times did you go?
4: (laughs) Uh, four or five in like six months or something. It was way too many. (laughs) We, and it was like. It was Thursday night. High karate was the busiest night club night in the city, busiest night at Hi Fi, obviously. We were partying, you know, club closed at three. We would party till later than that. And then I would always be like, Whoa, oh, I can't believe like Pete and Mike made their flight and then, you know, Graham and I would go down the next day. It was yeah, it was highly unnecessary. But, but so, it was so fun. So we were so,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we would basically go to the airport from the club. Yes so it, yeah it was it was not a healthy lifestyle we <laughs> were very not, tired yeah and uh, and drunk but also um so so there was that element of running the club but then also the uh the bookings was were really firing at that time you know there was there was a lot of genre kind of clash coming together um you know the kind of rock and dance music uh and and hip-hop kind of um, mashup thing had had just kind of been set off a, a year or two before that. So, you know, myself and I, I believe I think Ford and I were working on a lot of the bookings at the time, yeah, right? Sure. So, so, so Ryan Ford and I would would basically, you know, target some acts that we wanted to go after and try to book some some exciting shows. And so there there was that element too. We had I looked at the list of of shows that we had booked through those couple of years and it was it was a pretty solid um set of acts it's bonkers through.
3: we're gonna go through some of those names uh, a little bit later in the show and that you just reminded me of ryan fordino who now lives in berlin and uh releases music under marcel detman's uh label and is you know uh, a techno figure um another calgary connection that seems you know just so interesting to me
4: Oh, it's me. So I remember
3: him being just so grumpy with me at the club <laughs> he or, the or grumpiest.
4: like a tubby dog. He was up in it was, he was <laughs> night and day though. He was either the happiest, jokiest guy around or upset. <laughs> so, so he was
2: running basically the daytime operations at the club and Sarm was running the nighttime. So it was a great one, two punch. Like those guys uh, took care of all the business that we, that, you know, so it allowed us to be able to be on the road and, and have confidence in what was happening at home which was r- really great
3: i'm just curious about how it came to be and i'm also curious like what were your key performance indicators when you opened the club what did you consider success
2: well i mean looking that far back we, we had in 2004 we were, were djing at the night gallery which is to me like the best venue in the history of calgary just in terms of the way they would program it they had dj shows midweek and then they would do live music on the weekends and it was you know the patrons were a lot of misfits and and artists and music fans and they would routinely book a show that would lose a ton of money just because that was who they wanted to bring which the the average venue would would never do that and and you know we (laughs) for better or worse we took note (laughs) and then uh you know but to his credit another guy that would do that was uh, zach at broken city and you know it's when you're when you're caring more about the programming and and the music that's coming through uh than you do about the bottom line then that to me that that's gonna uh enrich the scene and 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 create a vibrant music scene um if if not a sustainable one at times but so so we were we were at the night gallery uh djing on on thursdays and it was going really well we we had a lot of support from the the skateboarding uh scene and and the crew down at the source which was uh kind of a force at the time and we uh the the night gallery was you know there was the management was uh, a little bit uh i guess if, if you want to it's hard to hard to describe but you know, things there were up and down and there was, you know, we'd, we'd come in at times, uh, say we'd come in on a Thursday and there'd be no, uh, no liquor behind the bar and the bathroom would be torn out and and sitting on the dance floor. And we'd be like, we got to open in two hours. Like what's going on? And so we felt that there was a little bit too, too much stress involved with the operations there. And we were like, we, you know, we have to either move the night or uh, figure out our own thing. And we had, some friends that were operating a venue down the block called the venue and they had just opened it and it wasn't going that well and and they had approached us about uh an opportunity to uh basically buy it. And you know, I think it seemed far fetched at the time. We we were operating Giant 45. It was really shoestring uh but uh, you know budget.
3: Uh, Giant forty five is a record store and a clothing store?
2: Yes. So we had the record store. And it was basically a break-even business for its entire existence, barely. Um, and so we, yeah, it was it was far fetched, but we decided to give it a go. We we we, we pulled our, our cash together and, and made it happen. And and basically, you know, it was it was uh, it was an opportunity for us to kind of do do our own thing and have creative control over the whole place. And we. We went over there with uh, uh, some other DJs that were feeling the same way we were, and and you know it's it went well right off the bat. To answer your question about our definition of success, uh, we didn't we didn't really have one uh, or a long term goal or anything like that. We were just we just wanted uh, a, a you know a consistent place where we could uh, play our music and, and host shows that we wanted to do. Do so it was um, it was very simple. Like there was no. There wasn't a, a big master plan there. It was
3: basically we just wanted a
2: place to throw high karate.
3: <laughs> Let's talk about that role that hi Club played in community building because that's all extra resources and, you know, your your time. Like, why why do these things that, uh, you know, co- cost you money and, and uh, made it so you got less sleep?
4: Well, I, I mean, Inu Pete alluded to... Um, You know, in a gallery, you're doing shows that um, lost money, and we definitely did our fair share of those back in the day, but also, I mean, the musical landscape was so different back there, especially without the internet, like without SoundCloud, without all this stuff that people didn't have access to all this music, so... You know, we were bringing in, you know, it's not like like we did bring in some ridiculous names when you look back. But also we were bringing in like, you know, Pete and Mike would go on tour with guys like The Rub in New York and like even and small guys like Cobra Cranes and all these guys. And we would bring them to town and nobody would know who they were really, but people trusted us. And it was such a little like it was basically a snapshot of what's happening in these big like urban cities like New York and stuff so you know people I think really loved that at the time that they were able to like get this little glimpse of oh my god this is New York's best rap party and it's come in Calgary and and, you know we're gonna go and also um, the US dollar was on par for so long that it was we brought them up we could charge ten dollars for cover and people were like yeah ten bucks I'll go to this for ten bucks so it was like you know great great in that regard but Yeah, just as far as community building, like, I I think we just had the trust of people after a while. Like, people came there, had fun. It was safe. It was fun. You know, music was good. It wasn't, you know, trying to be anything too crazy. We were never like, oh, this is the VIP section for bottle service or anything. It was just like, you come, you know, you let loose. We were out there. We were on the dance floor or at the bar, like, drinking with everybody. So, um, you know, people just, I think, trusted us, and, and it kind of started building from there.
2: Yeah, agreed. Um the that's a good point about the internet because it was it was an era where uh like I feel like now everything if you go out to a rap night in Calgary, you're going to hear the exact same songs that you do at a rap night in Brooklyn. Whereas at you know, at that time the playing field was not level. It was like if you if you lived in Williamsburg or if you lived in like um Say in in the south, like in Atlanta or something, you were going to be hearing like ninety percent different music at the club that you would in in Calgary, and so so it what it was like. We were, I think we considered we considered it like almost like a cultural exchange where we could like you know bring music through that was exciting and and otherworldly and kind of create this this artistic culture in calgary and it was not just music it was art shows as well where we we, we put on shows by a ton of local artists and and uh, global ones as well that were uh, that we felt fit the vibe of the club because there was that there was an exciting movement in in art and street culture as well that that fit with what we were doing so
3: how was that represented in the interior of the club? Because, I mean, it's evolved significantly over the years. Um, let's talk about, like, the the, the visual uh, elements of the club. Let's talk about the projectors, the slide projectors. <laughs> nice.
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the visual, like Pete kind of alluded to, the art shows, like we always... Um, cycle different art shows through there um, whether it was you know originally uh, Grimes and Ford painted all those artists like Nina Simone and John Coltrane and all those on those like you know whatever squares. six by six squares the hi-fi, and, legends. Yeah, hi-fi legends hi-fi yeah. legends thank you and uh, you know those went over so well everyone was like oh my god I need Nina Simone I remember late at night Grimes because Grimes is like the most generous guy ever and like we would close we would close I'm like cashing out with the bartenders <laughs> and then they come out and like Dean Close Clark's walking around with Nina Simone and Dwayne's got like John Coltrane. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, taking them back, putting them back on the wall. It was like so ridiculous. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I, lo- I love that because, and then, but then the thing is
2: that uh, Grimy or, or Ford would just go paint another one the next day. <laughs> yeah. So, pe- you know, you'd, you'd, you'd <laughs> totally. give away, the, it'd be like a parting gift, like, all right, see you later. And, and then we'd have a new one up.
3: You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. I'm speaking with Pete M's and Sarmad Rizvi about the early days of Calgary's Hi-Fi Club. To see photos from the early days, follow Rave Dad's Diary on Instagram, at Rave Dad's Diary. I remember on uh, at Beats and Pieces, which was
2: the Thursday night, they'd get our friend Noel, Noel uh, Bejin. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but um, he's like a super talented visual artist. He would come through and basically spend the whole day, every Thursday, like putting up visuals at the club. And they were projectors with uh, like uh, transparent sheets. um, And they would have like video, like old school video games, like Pong, like projecting through like doilies of like lace and and she, it was like really incredible um you know uh kind of DIY art projects that he would come in and set up every week and it was you know so next level compared to the average like club globo like spinning uh, light spots and so we we took uh influence from that and and basically uh f- f- we did we did our own kind of a budget version of that and we and it was and involved slide projectors and a couple other things but but the slide projectors were a constant source of headaches Grief. for grimy and, <laughs> and sarm because they'd have to be ordering bulbs and the, the the back room was just like a huge stack of projectors and bulbs but and, and you crane. also
3: loved it i mean i when i came to work at hi-fi i remember it was part of the ritual you'd flip through your box of slides oh for sure and uh and describe some of the slides. Like, how did you get them made? Where did you get the inspiration for the images on the slides that were projected onto the walls? Uh,
4: well, I mean, just the slide projector thing was pretty crazy. It was definitely a Grimes thing. Like when I got hired, it was it was kind of already in place, and Grimes and I kind of always worked together on it. But um, um, and it was fun. Like they they, I mean, it's definitely not any like we always joked that it was so lo fi and we were called hi fi, but it's uh, it was like not the right technology but to be using the way we're using it because we would have them on for whatever we'd open at nine and we close at three so they're on for six six, seven hours and they would melt like all the time like I'm like oh what's that smell behind the bar I'm like oh the freaking projector now (laughs) melted I'm like great so I remember that smell I'm I just like, had a flashback to that smell. <laughs> I'm like, quick, save the bulb. Like we had to like open it up. And the bulbs are so finicky, like you can't touch them with finger like with your fingers because the oils in your hands it, like will heat up the bulbs. So it like it's such a little process and then we had to like cover the top with a piece of cardboard so the light didn't come out. It was like it was just such a funny way to do it. But it made the club look really great and people really, really loved it. Like when we went away from it a few years ago. Um people were like, "Oh, I miss the slides. I miss the slides, but it was hard to get done properly." So if I wasn't there making sure it was right, it just was it just looked not great. So one of the other reasons why I
2: just I just remembered why it looked great was because you could still smoke in the club. <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: <laughs> and true. so
2: so the the light the lights would be, you know, shooting through the exactly and it, it just it looked so awesome. You didn't need a you didn't need a smoke machine with that terrible smell of the current ones and you would have you you just had cigarette smoke
4: with that wonderful smell (laughs) totally for images mostly yeah what what was the uh what was the kind of blog site that was just pictures um um tumblr
2: tumblr yeah thank you i uh tumblr was huge it was like the it was the most artistic social media that of all time it was like absolutely um it was like instagram without the uh
3: like kind of Um, posturing yes uh so yeah and pornography controls (laughs) (laughs) but anyways yeah
4: right i I used to go on tumblr and steal so many images for for slides all the time and we would make our own you know our nights sometimes would have their own like sunday school had it and high karate has uh, had it and stuff like that but uh for a lot like then i started really using a lot of like occulty kind of stuff and then you know, it was funny because we would just go into like weird phases. Like when we had all that, um, uh, like uh, the fantasy novel art with like the it's like, boys like and Boris, like heavy metal kind of inspired yeah, yeah. stuff. Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, Boris. I think is the name, and yeah, it was just always like dragon slayer women with like crazy, you know, dragons in the back. Right, and, and we that, would that take
2: cues. Fun. We would take cues from what some of our favorite visual artists were doing, like. When, you know, I think I think part of that was after Dust LaRocque show that, that came through that was there was some, uh, you know, dark subject material with like devils and, and, and demons and stuff. And then we, you know, so so some of the slides got made up to go along with
3: that. And, yeah. OK, I want to bring it back to your relationship. How did you two meet? How did you get introduced?
4: Well, I used to go to high karate or night gallery all the time, like from the man and I turned 18 pretty much. Um, but I don't think we actually officially met till ye- so I right before Hi-Fi opened. I I'd been man managing. I'm using quotations and uh, bartending at this really crappy bar called the Point on Seventeenth on Seventeenth Ave. It's where um, Calcutta Cricket Club is now. It was a terrible dive bar with mostly like. VLT playing. I would kill
2: and... to have a bar like that on Seventeenth. No,
4: <laughs> yeah. To be honest, <laughs> it's called Watchman's Pub. I think <laughs>
2: it's not quite the same.
4: Yeah. Anyway, but it was fun. Like in in the the owner was like kind of insane and totally clueless. So she was like, "Okay, do whatever you want." And then so we started programming music. And actually, the first person I ever booked was Matt Neighbor. He lived in the next apartment over. So I would like if. Somebody canceled or whatever. I'm like, oh, hey, Matt, you want to come over and play? And he would, like, bring his, P, like, his whole, like, PC, like, desktop. <laughs> and he would set up in the booth. And he'd just play music. And then, um, anyway, yeah, booked a bunch of fun stuff. Like, even Chad Van Gelen played there a couple times for me. And, like, um, I started in a bunch of nights. Like, Noah and Reno's night. Uh, St. Andrews started there. And then Pete and you, Richard Wilger brought you and Grimey down one night to introduce you to me. I thought it was... Uh, Noah and Reno that brought us
2: down, wasn't
4: it? I think it was Richard Wilker. Maybe, maybe it was both. Maybe Reno and Noah really come check out our night because they yeah, they were because they were at Say Dangerous. They were playing there, uh, doing because,
2: uh, were were we doing, I think, one or both of them? I think Noah was playing with me at Broken City on probably on uh, Wednesdays, yes, doing the indie rock dance party, dance party, yeah. And then,
4: and then he was like, Oh, you got to come down to the point, yeah. And then I remember you guys came, and you came with Richard Woger, so I don't know why, like, just because you're home, and I was friends with him as well, so I remember you guys showing up, and I was like, whoa, small-town DJs are here. I was like, oh, I better buy them a shot of Jägermeister. I'll, I'll never forget this. And, I put, and it was, like, Wednesday at, like, 7 or something, probably, and I was like, oh, better have some Jäger ready. And then I, we, I, I think we Jäger a was big Jäger. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, better impress these guys with these shots of Jägermeister. But we were like, this guy's great. Um, let's
2: let's hire. We, we didn't know anything about running a bar, but we were like, This guy's great, let's hire him. And so I remember and I remember I feel like you, you, you used to wear a um like a suit. Behind the bar, like well, you had like a sometimes. three-piece suit with a vest. Yeah, it was a brown and, wool suit. And, and so, like, oh, he looks professional. <laughs> Let's get him behind the bar.
4: This guy takes it seriously. Yeah, he's he's got he a takes briefcase. seriously. Let's get him. No, and then when, and then what happened was I was when when high oh, five. Well, technically it didn't open until 2005, but really it opened at the end of 2004 when you guys took over and you started doing a bunch of shows, like shout out, out, played multiple nights in a row. And like, I was like, you know, 24th time, Stingman, all that stuff. So I was, I was going there every single night you're open. I remember Pester and Graham and I had never, I had figured out that he was like owner manager or whatever. So I just remember, I remember a lot of like drunk late nights at at hi-fi before i was high being like oh are you guys hiring oh you guys hiring?" right like i kind of pestered graham a little bit for right. for a bit well that was good
2: your persistence paid off and uh yeah and and but you know it's it, i'm glad you brought up uh neighbor's name because that was an example of uh like neighbor and wax romeo were a couple uh you know local artists that were really great musicians and producers And they kind of got in in, at that time at Hi-Fi. And I think that was around, like, 2007 was around when Wax Romeo started playing a lot and the the Homebreaking crew uh, started playing at at, at Hi-Fi. And and I think that was was cool because they were, like, they were kind of the next wave uh, and local artists that got uh, a chance to, uh, you know, play and get a little, like, whatever, not a break, but,
4: like, you know, got a chance to have a stage. For sure. Homebreaking was doing, like, a lot of stuff. They were, you know had a label they were putting out actual releases and stuff so they were kind of definitely making some waves they were playing the festivals and stuff like that or I, starting to
2: I, people used to ask us about homebreaking when we'd be on the road like first time we we played at banana split in la yeah um we met mike b and he was like oh he's like i'm such a big homebreaking fan and i was like i can't believe this guy in la <laughs> knows about uh this calgary label that's cool
3: definitely gonna have to uh uh bring glow stick Dan in here and and get neighbor on get, Zoom get to Cal talk. Bass Cal, yeah, we got to talk about <laughs> Lauren B. Homebreaking. Yeah. That's a good future episode. I, I just had a memory about the you know I in my mind they were the homebreaking houses, the two identical yes. houses um, in like Bankview, right? You no, know, in uh, South Calgary and Altador and uh, yeah, that like same house, same layout on each side, and they would just ha- you know after the club. We all roll over to those houses totally. and party all night long, yes. and uh, that was that's definitely an extension of Hi Fi Club in my mind.
4: Absolutely, it gets such an era too. Like I, I went to Cal's house not that long ago, and, I, and he's got two kids now. Obviously, he's, he's still to, in the same house, still same house. So it's like. So crazy! I'm like, oh, the basement. This is where the turntables were. This is all had a studio. My- like, remember, neighbor had the studio down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like mad house parties till super late all the time. It was pretty funny. To, but to be- now you go down, and it's all kids' toys and stuff. You're like, this seems really. <laughs> That's weird. weird. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but you know uh that that was I think that was the first place the first friend of ours that had a proper studio set up too. Like I remember going there and being like, "Oh, this is the this is how you make this is what you need to be doing it properly." Like, you know, grimy. Grimy and I had like, uh, what do you call it, um, Pro Tools, but like, you know, just doing it at home. Like, and then you you, you know you go over there and, and neighbor and, and Cal had that studio set up, and you're like, "Oh, this is like proper studio set up." Nobody really had that at the time. Now it's it's more common, but at the time it was you know rare.
3: I want to talk about some of the artists that played Hi-Fi Club in and around 2007, 2008. Um, Of course, at the club, there is a wall that uh, you updated most recently, I think, for the which anniversary would it have been?
4: Um, We just updated it last year just to because it was, you know, it was like two years out of date and there was a lot of. So there's kind of a wall of a
3: wall of fame where you list some of the artists who've played in a year and. It, it's always interesting. I mean, um, it's a focal point in the club because people always spend time, like you know, reading the names and reminiscing and, and remembering. Um, so I have, uh, I just have some of the names here from 2007: uh, Steve Aoki, The Constantines, Mastercraft, uh, Hip Hop Group, The Beatnuts, Lady Sovereign. Remember Lady Sovereign and the the, the Grime Wave, uh, Spank Rock, Japanther, Dave Nada, Lady Hawk. Domus, the Juan McLean, No Means No, um, Paris Terror Club, uh, Gisela Emporier. Uh, So there's a whole mix of, uh, I mean, many different subgenres of electronic music, but also uh, rock, heavy metal, indie rock, uh, hip hop. Like, what was the programming focus of of the club?
2: Well, you that there was also uh, a, a bit of a so so for the first couple of years when we moved over from the night gallery, uh, Dave Muir came over with us who had been there as well, and he was doing all the Saturday night bookings and some midweek live bookings as well. And he, you know, he's the owner of Sloth Records and and he's got the you know that kind of metal and and hard rock indie rock background, and he was responsible for. You know, most, I guess all of that, and it, I I think that it gave the club a really kind of um, varied, cool, and varied feel at the start, which which was great, and that was also the era before dance music and all music, like rock music and hip hop, had all fused. So it it was really kind of uh, you know separate scenes, and you it, it was rare for like indie kids to go out to a dance music night at the time it started you know i think high five was part of of that wave and not you know it wasn't something that was just happening in calgary it was it was all over the place but so um you know and 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 another another guy that we had through in that era was was diplo i think that was 2008 but he you know that part of the excitement around what those guys were doing in philly was that they were they were fusing like dance rock and 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 house with uh with hip-hop which hadn't really done been done before and it was uh you know something that that caught fire down in the states and then you know spread everywhere else so
3: so yeah in in 2008 there's there's diplo who pete um you've become good friends with you guys are staying in touch and uh you know he's he's visited you from time to time he came here from stamp for stampede last year uh uh, in 2008 there's dj meddy uh r.i.p um you know french dj uh, He was part of the ed banger uh crew yep. right uh um calvin harris who uh you know was coming through on his uh the tour for what was the album uh, i invented i created disco what was you know his, his like breakthrough I created
2: disco yeah his breakthrough hit A- actually he it was his second album had just been released so he had uh There was this, the first single off, it was ready for the weekend, I think. And it was his, he had kind of left his kind of funky disco sound behind. And he was doing like a bigger kind of uh, pop electronica sound, uh, which is different than what he does now. But it was, there was was almost trance elements too. people. There there was a bit of pushback from his (laughs) original fan group before he was like the UK Chromio. And then he, and then which which fit in, you know, we had Chromio a bunch of times, and so it really fit with the with the hi fi, uh, you know, crowd. And then and then he, his second album, I, I don't, at first it was not well received by these same fans, and he came through. And I remember he, his manager and his agent both came through with him, which is very rare. But it was this guy Alex uh, Chakin from New York, and then his manager is a guy called Mark who who's become like one of the most successful managers in all music um from London and at the time he was Stanton Warriors and a couple other guys and he he landed Calvin Harris and he was like okay this is our first Calvin's not playing live anymore he's just doing DJ sets this is the first show of his new show and he they were like we had you know they had to be there they were it was rare for them both to be there like that and he came and he, he played a kind of a, a, I don't want to say mediocre, but it was like, it was, you know, he was, it was his first DJ set. It was his, his first basically live club DJ set. And so the, the reaction was kind of mixed, if I remember correctly. And obviously he's gone on to be like a massive global star. But at the time there was, I remember some trepidation on the part of everybody about what was
4: happening. I remember on, on our side, like from like a staff and like club manager side, we were like, you must have told me, you're like, oh, his manager and agent are coming. And we we're like, whoa, 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 this is a big deal. Like, we got a manager and an agent coming. <laughs> we're like, you know, better make sure everything's perfect. And I remember there were some issues with the DJ table. And like, yeah. also, for, I don't know why, but. In, or who updates Wikipedia? But forever and ever and ever, until even like last year, the his, Calvin Harris's photo on Wikipedia was him standing on the stage at hi-fi and it was an like awful picture. It's an awful, awful the photo. The pictures from
3: that show were awful. <laughs>
4: yeah, well, there was like no lights. <laughs> You know, we, we didn't have anything really back then. It was just, like, this dark stage, and he's standing there, and it looks like there's nobody there. It's like, just a, like, like a gaunt figure. Like, it looks like figure. he's playing at, like, the pub down the street from yeah. his house or something. It was so funny. I was like, <laughs> what, why is this a thing? Aoki was a funny one, too, because I remember some, some like, I don't remember everything from back then or many things, but <laughs> some things just stick in your head. Like, Aoki, I remember we booked him, and he he played, I don't know if 2007 was the first time he played it may have been but then he played again and i think right away like 2008 or 2009 and the second time he played we kept getting phone calls from people being like is steve aoki really playing at your club oh yeah that's right or is he really playing there And, and i would be like yeah he's playing there they're like Steve Aoki, like Devin Aoki's brother. And I was like, Yeah, it's that Steve Aoki, yes, he's playing And they're like, Really? He's playing at your club in Calgary. And I'm like, Yeah, he is. And they were like so like did not believe him. we're like, We didn't make a fake poster, and like we're not gonna, you know, get an imposter up on stage. Like, yes, he's playing there. And I'm like, he actually played there like he played here like a year ago too, and they were like, mm, mm, hang up. Like and it was so funny. Yeah, that's great. Um I remember because i
2: can't i can't forget but uh two of my favorite um artists that have come through and played for us were uh james murphy from lcd sound system and and black francis from the pixies and i remember when dave booked black francis i was like over the moon you know they were my favorite band growing up and and i was you, you know to me that was like if you had told You know, 16 year old me that we were going to have the, I was going to have a bar where Black Francis was going to play. You know, 10, 15 years later, I would have been like, you're crazy. And so it was, it was such a huge deal for me. And I was, I was, you know, blown away that when, when he told, Dave told me about the booking. And then right away I was crestfallen because it was the same weekend as Shambhala. And we, you know, we have our regular set of Shambhala. And it was a, at that time, it was, you know, we weren't playing a lot of festivals. That was the, the the one main one, and it was like you said, pre-internet. So all the kids from Western Canada would go to the festival and then see you DJ, and then go to their towns and be like, "Oh, you got to bring these guys." They were, you know, they they did a great job of Shamla So it was a it was a big deal for us, and it was. You know, we'd only played a couple times. And so, you know, I'm sitting there in, in Nelson, B.C., like just so bummed out that that I'm, you know, we're playing like probably like the an amazing show. One of probably the best show we've ever played. And I was I couldn't I couldn't help but being super bummed because I was missing Black Francis at at uh, HiFi. Um, so that that was one that stuck out. And then the other one was uh, was Kid Cudi when when we brought him because there was a lot of excitement around the, the tune that he, they put out he put out with crookers um day and night which became against all odds became like a global
3: radio hit it's a very triggering song for me (laughs) is it i
2: still hear it at my
4: gym once in a while i'm like
2: oh yeah yeah it's a great i mean it's a great record and and the it was the remix like the crookers version that became huge and so if i was right in our right in our wheelhouse we were like we got to get these guys we we brought crookers but we also brought kid cuddy and it was before he had his solo career had really blown up, but it was just starting to. And, you know, he hadn't been acting or anything like that. And we were, that's one of those shows that I still, when I tell people about it, or or sometimes you see online, people are just absolutely shocked that he played because, you know, those, those kind of artists are so much bigger than, than, you know, the typical uh, DJ level of fame, you know, like Kid Cudi is, he's a, he's a major pop, star in the u.s and you know he's you know kanye and him did that collaborative record of the last year or whatever and he's just he's just on this level you know where where people are you know it's it's that it's that internet celebrity and that level of celebrity that kind of exists now and and so um you know but 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 you remember the show at hi-fi and it was you, you know, it, it just it feels like a lifetime ago. It's 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 wild to think back on some of the, some of that that era because we were we were just we were just booking things that we were excited about in underground music at the time, and and you know some of it has some of it has been totally forgotten, and like a lot most of it's been totally forgotten, and, and these a lot of these artists you know you never heard from them again, and then but he he was obviously one of the ones that you did.
3: Full disclosure, I went on to work for Hi-Fi Club for a couple of years, and I also did some work for Small Town DJs as well. And um, I want to just, you know, I want to say thank you to both of you for being solid friends and amazing people to work with. And I've had a lot of time this year to reflect on different jobs I've had and different opportunities I've had. And I mean, you both stand out as people who've always supported me and looked out for me. So thank you. Um, the one of the ways that you uh have supported you know myself and many of my peers and 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 like built this um culture around high fi um i mean are the, the ways that you treat your staff and i'm thinking back to some epic staff parties um staff trips uh let's take it back to uh i guess you could consider this a staff trip you both went to burning man in 2009
4: oh yeah <laughs> i guess you could call that a staff trip it was just pete and i <laughs> i remember pete i remember so But well, you were technically you were working yeah p so Pete got booked to play or you know got he had tons of friends going and you were going to play with it was it Allie b
2: yeah uh, i think it was like uh, like i had an opportunity to play at Opula temple and a couple a of couple the bigger of stages that were janky barge. Sounded, janky barge a couple <laughs> things it sounded exciting and and I, I, I'd, I'd wanted to go for a few years because a bunch of our friends, uh, Vinyl Richie and 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 Foxy Moron from Whistler, they were they were regular attendees. So I, I, I'd wanted to go.
4: Yeah, I remember. And then I remember you would actually. I was not Pete's first choice. I'll let you know full disclosure. Actually, Ryan Ford was his first choice. And Ford's like, I am not freaking going to Burning Man. He's like, you gotta <laughs> take Sarmat. The Berlin like, techno guy didn't want to go to Burning. He's Man. He's like, what do you think? And I was like, the guy. <laughs> I've been going to Shambala since like nine, like nineties. You know, I was like, so, and he's like, you gotta take Sarmat. And I was like, I don't think I can go. I got to work. And, and then it was just the three of us. And Pete's like, you don't have to work. I was like, I don't. And he's like, no. I was like, okay, I'll go. And it was like in three days. So we were like, okay. Pete rented a Volkswagen van from like westphalia rentals or something and we picked it up actually pretty close to here by uh did did we yeah it was by graham's apartment there we hmm. picked it up oh yeah that's yeah. right and yeah. you
3: drove to burning man
4: so here's the thing we a car I
3: didn't
2: that realize, goes very slow yeah it goes really it was a really <laughs> slow car and here's the thing i didn't realize when neither of us realized that w- the way to do it is to fly to san francisco and then drive to burning man uh because uh I guess the information was wasn't as readily available about how you burning man, how you do it. So we were like so we we're like, Oh yeah, we'll rent we'll rent a Volkswagen bus from Calgary and drive down. And it was it was a road trip for all road trips. I had it I had a bunch awesome. of country music. Uh we listened to like classic country on the way down. The way. <laughs> and uh and what else what else do we have in there? We had some um I remember bon-, uh, bon Iver's first record had yeah. had just come out. Um there was a uh, yeah, a lot of country. I remember
4: listening to a lot of classic country. Yeah, and, and- so, so
2: so I was like I was like, Sarm, I, uh uh, you know, you don't have to work, you know. I'm your boss." So, <laughs> let's go. You're, we're going to Burning Man. And we drove down and we had we had a campsite. We didn't know what we were doing. We were totally unprepared. We stopped at Walmart and bought like some bottles of water or something. And <laughs> we, you know, we, you we can't slept? get any f- food really on on site either. Like it we're 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 like, oh, they'll be like shambla, they'll be like kiosks or whatever. <laughs> so, uh so we oh, oh yeah, we slept in the Walmart parking lots on the way down because you yeah, yeah. you can do that. So it's like camping, right? You can camp for free in the Walmart parking lots. Got some like water bottles. Went on site. The the Whistler crew was was unbelievably set up they they had two campsites right next to each other they were just they're just such such a great team down there uh what are they it's called time of your life camp i think they're called and uh you know they they took care of us the whole time they showed us what to do we were we were just like we were so weak uh we were weak burners but it was it was incredible And, and and one thing that struck us was it was it was not it not a music festival it was basically like an art art festival you you know you, you we we didn't check out a lot of um you know at the time we, it, it it was different era you, you know there wasn't quite as much music and and uh st- quite as many stages as there are now but you uh you know we 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 loved it it was it was incredible it was
4: awesome. it was yeah. like yeah, i remember one night going to the uh the minus minus records had a had a thing and it was at a it was like there, the stage was shaped like a huge all, – all these giant Tetris pieces, and they had this giant screen where you could play Tetris. But it was, like, absolutely massive. And, yeah, it was just only techno from plus eight artists the whole – or, sorry, minus artists the whole time. So that that was pretty cool because I was a huge, like, Richie Haughton fan and stuff. So that was cool. I got to see, like, Magda and, and acts like that play there, which was cool. But other than that, yeah, it was so – there was so much art. I remember, like, we saw that – performance with that like go in the dark dance troupe thing that was pretty nuts oh i don't remember that but i I do remember that remember the twins uh were
2: in the uh the thunderdome and one of them like dislocated his shoulder these friends of ours from whistler went in the there was a big thunderdome literally like the movie where you hang from the rafters and they basically fire you know shoot like it's too it's like a fight with like these kind of like padded bats and these guys went in and were just, you know, like going super aggro. And one guy dislocated his shoulder. We we're like, "Wow, Burning Man doesn't mess around." So these guys
4: also—they're like these twins from Whistler, and they're like something like six six and just totally jacked. So they look like in the in this like they were in the movie fighting cage. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah,
3: Pacific Northwest ravers.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, like milk fed. But, <laughs> but, um, but we. we uh, no, that w- that was that was one of the that was a work trip basically. But we we also did things like I was right? you know, off. we would remember we remember we t- we would take the staff to uh, remember the trip we did to Phoenix together. That yeah, was a blast.
3: that was super fun. Yeah,
2: we we so we would we would take the management um, on a trip, and you know, it was basically just to show show our appreciation and and to you know check out because because Grimey and I got to travel a lot with DJing. We you know we always felt like we wanted to take the crew with us because there was s- so much uh, exciting stuff to check out in all these cities that we would be in. So that was part of the, the motivation to do these staff trips because it was like, uh, we felt that it was good for the club too, because, totally. um, you know, we, we get, get a little uh, taste of culture in other cities and, and see what was going on in the music scene in some of these cities.
3: All right, let's drag it kicking and screaming into the present here. Um, you know, Sarmad, I, I, you've, done so much musically in the city um you know managing hi-fi club booking a lot of the music in in the most recent years um on the board for sled island music festival um you know many of these uh companies uh, and institutions that you've helped to build uh are really struggling uh right now um how are you moving forward and what's keeping you going right now um when a lot of these outlets have had to be put on pause or, or put on ice
4: well, I guess <clears throat> lucky for us that we um our other bar home and away is open and so that's really our main focus right now. Um, with Hi-Fi, you know, we're just um treading water <laughs> in the meantime. We're uh we just did an art auction, which is something we've wanted to do forever there is and you know it comes back to what we talked about earlier, but there is a decade of arch of art from our shows that we did at Hi-Fi just, just stored there. And we always were like, we got to sell this art. We got to sell this.
3: art. We've been talking so, about it for years, so I'm glad grand. you finally did it.
4: Yeah, we did finally do it, and it went great. Like you know, we 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 were hoping to raise 20 grand. We ended up raising like nine nineteen thousand six hundred something. So very close to our goal, which was which is nice. And uh, you know, it's it's you know not like a GoFundMe where people are just donating. People get like these amazing pieces of art. So like it's so cool to see like you know meeting everybody there. Uh, You know, almost daily or whatever to pick up these pieces of art, and then they're sending me photos of it up in their living room, and it's just so awesome! It's so cool, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, it's so, I'm so glad that. You know, people are able to enjoy it. And, you know, especially like with the Ben Tour, like the girls, those are so iconic for there. So people are like, I cannot believe I got this. Yeah, or yeah. So many people were messaging me with, like, I have such an attachment to this painting. You don't even understand, blah, blah, blah. People
2: like, were like lobbying me to try to get like an inside <laughs> scoop on the bidding so that they, they could actually score the, <laughs> the artwork because they, you know, there were so, so many uh, good memories attached with it attached to it so quite a patina
3: on those uh, paintings
4: absolutely (laughs) there's definitely some smoke residue for sure we tried to make it as clear as possible like pete wrote the blurb for the auction and he's like these have been previously loved blah 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 like it was like this whole thing and then each one that i really had to make sure like that it's uh, i said it in the description for the painting too because yeah some of them were
3: (laughs) has a
2: hold
4: in it from a
3: knife we
4: we a bunch (laughs) a
2: bunch of the 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 there was a damage on a couple of them, and they, we, we had
4: it repaired prior to the, it repaired. to the auction. I remember. So, Troy, shout out Troy Stanky, he bought one of the Ventures, and I guess he was texting with Yvonne, and he goes, and and he's like, Oh, I got the Ventour, I'm so pumped. And Yvonne texts him back. He's like, Which one? Because one has a hole from it from Grimes throwing a bottle at me and missing. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed. That's pretty funny. It might have been that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, it was cool to do that. And, you know, that's really taking the most of our time, really home and away has been going great so that's that's just you know super we're, we're lucky that we have that right now yeah shout
3: out home and away big supporters of cgsw uh through the funding drive that's happening currently so thank you very much for for supporting campus and community radio
2: yeah i mean we you, you know it's it, my heart goes out to everybody in our our industry across the the continent and the world and and you know you're seeing uh not just venues but uh you know artists and and musicians and and just uh, all the peripheral businesses they're all suffering and and it's i guess the only the only bright side is that everybody's in, in it together and 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 hopefully uh you know are able to come out on the other side in in some uh you know uh, semblance of of what you know what they loved about what they did before and and i think that uh you know from, from my standpoint, I've, I've had to learn, uh, some, some new skills this year and, and that's exciting, uh, you know, in terms of streaming or visual elements that c- can go online and, you know, it's, it's not the same, uh, you know, it's, it's not exactly a, a, a bit, a business that can feed my kids, but, um, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're, everybody's adapting and, and I think that, uh. You know, we 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 try to help each other when we're down, and you know, some people are coping better mentally, uh, uh, mental health wise than others. And uh, you know, it's it's I think part of the community is is that we have to try to be there for each other when when we, we are suffering, and
3: you know, it's it's uh, we'll, we'll come through it together. Let's uh, talk quickly about Dad Rock Radio. What? Yeah, how are you staying connected during these times? Yeah, well, so
2: at the start of COVID, I I. Um, did a, I, I wanted to see where I could fit in to the, the streaming that, w- that was happening right off the bat. And, and, uh, you know, for me with, with kids at home and with, you know, the way my life looked, uh, you know, it wasn't realistic for me to be doing like late night, uh, house music, electronic streams, you know, cause I have a, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. So so I, so I jumped on it, latched to a couple of things on on the small town uh, Instagram. I, I started an interview show called uh, Small Talk and, and went into uh, interviews with uh, some of these acts that have played at the club and that we've met over the years and that we've met on tour and all of these things. And it, it's been really rewarding to catch up with these friends and also talk to them about their careers and put me in in kind of an interviewer position, which has been a blast. And we've had everybody from like A Track Kid Koala um uh you know uh who else, who else has been on stuff? there. Shad's been on there Sarmad Sarm, was on Sarmads, and... Sarmad's, Sarmad's <laughs> was one of our most listened to episodes it right. was amazing <laughs> and so uh, so that part uh, has been so much fun and 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 so so rewarding but then uh, the other thing that I started was called Dad Rock Radio and it's a Sunday morning uh, radio show like pseudo radio show that's now on Twitch and uh, we, we have such a, a diehard uh, viewership and, and uh, crew that comes on. And it's lots of it is ex-ravers and, and, uh, and, and people that love music. And, and we just hang out on, on Twitch and I play uh, a bunch of classics. And it, it's been so much fun. We're, we're really uh, – I feel like we're really hitting our stride over there. And, and you know, you, it's funny. You get people jumping on from all over the world that you, you didn't expect would be on there, like DJs from you know, from all over the place that are jumping on and being like, oh man, this is for me.
4: You know, it's like it, it's resonating with, with people, so that's cool. And it's like such good music. And the chat on Dad Rock is really so fun. I feel like everyone's like having a great time. And you know, ra- random people you don't even know, like like the one guy he made a Spotify playlist of all your songs, like which is like Steph loves it. Like my wife's always playing that playlist at home now because some guy from the chat decided to take all the songs and make it a playlist. Like it's, it's pretty awesome.
3: That's amazing, and I mean, I saw that uh, DJ Marvel made some merch. Yep, we, and we've
2: you know we've uh, managed to keep up our our collaborations, and 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 Marvel from Vancouver has done. Uh, he has a, a thing called Homie Depot where he he does like uh, merch capsule drops, and so he he did some Dad Rock Radio tees and hats, and they're awesome. They they they're like I'm glad I don't have to manage that side of it, but, but uh, Marvel does a great job with it, and they 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 look pretty cool. So. So we're we're uh, you know it's like it's like uh, the 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 new world of DJing is is definitely going to include uh, a a streaming and an online like like a visual component and that's that's just the way it's going to be from now on and and so I feel like the, a, a lot of a lot of friends of mine that, that may not have embraced it as much at the start are now starting to see. Uh, The capability and the creativity of some of it and now they're you know, they're jumping on board and it's a different different landscape
3: Let's uh, I want to play the new track that just dropped from small-town DJs on fool's gold records featuring Bootsy Collins Can we talk about this? How did you come to collaborate with Bootsy Collins?
2: Well, so we, Grimey and I were actually we were on the Mount Magic tour. We, I think we were flying from Kelowna back to Calgary, and uh, had, this track was on the go. Mike, uh, you know, Mike spends like he's 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 such a whiz uh, when it comes to creating in the studio and on the computer, and so he ha- he had this track on the go, and he's like, we you know we really need to find the right vocal for this, and I and I remember thinking, ah, oh, this would be perfect for like a classic. Uh, you know, a classic funk vocal or one of the legends that would really like you know set this song off, and I was like, I was like, you know, Bootsy would be the perfect guy. Thinking that it was like a you know like a hail mary like a like like just you, you know an idea that wasn't going to happen. Grime was like, yeah, that's amazing. I don't you know I don't think we could ha- you you know how how are we going to work that. And and I got on I got on. This is the this is what's so amazing about twenty twenty. I got on my phone and I. I tried to find out who his where his management was located or whatever. It turns out it's his wife. Hit hit her up. Was like, hey, we have this song. It's perfect for Bootsy. Told him who we were. Like basically did like a pitch on on an email. And she hit she hit me back like while we were on the flight. I landed. There's a reply. She's like, this is awesome. Let's let Bootsy is down. Let's do this. We we, we we we're coming in basically to the parking lot when we get back to Calgary we were like you know oh my god this is crazy Bootsy's down let's let you know let's let's work out the details and and he 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 was gracious and and amazing the whole way through he's been uh, he's such a pro like we've we've collaborated with a lot of different artists um and the the the, the ones that are the pros are like that you you they're totally um you know they're there for a reason and they're they're like They're creatively uh, kind of adaptable, and they're fast, and they're there's so many, you know, and and they all have this kind of like common thread. And Bootsy, Bootsy was just unbelievable, and down for down for whatever. And uh, you know, today he posted, he, he he tweeted for my, it's his birthday, his 69th birthday, and he's like, for my birthday, I'm listening to Good Thing by Small Town DJs featuring Bootsy Collins, <laughs> you like and he's you know he's got like a million followers on Twitter it's just it's crazy but man what a, what a guy i just nothing but love for the, for that guy and the the motivate the reason why we thought it'd be good is because of his feature on on Groove is in the Heart that was that was what it was like you know he he's he's only he hasn't done many songs like that if any others than that Groove like, is in the Heart
3: like delight
2: delight cuz he was he's on that with Q, him and Q Tipper on it um and and I was like, I remember thinking, Bootsy would be perfect for this song, and it would, the motivation was was was
3: uh, Grooves in the Heart. Amazing. Well, we're going to listen to that track now. Thank you so much, Pete Sarmad. Thank you for coming in and having this conversation. It's really made me happy, and it means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. CJSW's music director, Haley Muir. Hi. Hi. Uh, at the time that we're speaking, there's less than 30 hours left in CJSW's annual funding drive. Mm-hmm. So when this airs, funding drive 2020 will be in the rear view mirror.
0: Yes, technically.
3: How are you feeling about it currently?
0: Oh, I couldn't be feeling better about it. Um, I was just in my office looking at some numbers and some days, and, uh, man, it's been incredible, both in, I don't know, vibe and energy and good times and, uh, you know, donation-wise, people are being very generous and uh, stepping up to the plate now more than ever, as they say.
3: Amazing. <laughs> I, I've been around a bit, and mm-hmm. I can say, yeah, the energy's incredible.
0: Ugh. And it's, yeah, it's it's amazing.
3: So uh, CJSW has a ton of electronic music mm-hmm. programming, yes, and uh, just I'm wondering if you can just touch on how CJSW represents the local um, electronic music community.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's been you know historically, uh, whether it's Friday night uh, Friday night party times, it's kind of you know an iconic genre tied into CJSW, and especially now that we're in the world of podcasting and people can listen to any show anytime anywhere, um, it's an incredible incredibly invaluable resource for the local electronic music scene to get their music and their DJs and their word out across the world. Um, And it really, you know, is an amazing way to prove that, to show that. uh, I would say and I imagine you'd say a similar thing here on this program that you know, Calgary's got a world class electronic music scene and it's awesome. It's incredible that CJSW provides uh, such a wonderful beacon and and platform to to spread that message out across the globe.
3: Totally. It feels it feels so uh so important here in 2020 and we were just talking about how um you know this this is offering these communities a way to connect in a healthy and safe and mm-hmm. really like creative way and um it's going to be uh, very important through uh you know a, a, a challenging winter possibly mm-hmm. yes so-
0: very likely a challenging winter but there's always a friend or a rave or a party or a something on the radio. So we've at least got that.
3: We do. Now, it was just announced that you and your uh, creative partner mm-hmm. that you run a FemWave uh, Music and Arts Festival with uh, Kaylee Cormack uh, are on Avenue Magazine's Top 40 Under 40. We are. Congratulations. Thank
0: you. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, that just happened yesterday uh, in in real time here. So that feels great. Um, as someone said in the kind of Zoom party that we had last night, we're the pandemic class, Top 40 Under 40. So uh, a, unique, a unique honor to be involved in that in general, but particularly in 2020.
3: I've noticed a current of dance music... That runs through Family mm-hmm. Festival. Uh, can you tell me about that? Actually, do you have a, a memory of a, a party yes. or, or a moment?
0: Yes. I can do both. Um, Yeah, I think in the first couple of years of FemWave, we didn't necessarily program a lot of electronic music. We were mostly in, you know, the kind of rock and roll world and um, some sort of singer-songwriters and that was kind of our areas of expertise at the time. Um, And as the years went by, it was like, okay, we're getting more DJs and electronic musicians who are submitting to the festival. Um, We're not totally in this community yet. How can we make that happen? happen so that we can provide these opportunities and provide these spaces for those artists as well. So, I think it would have been year three. We had um, a dance party electronic night at the King Eddie and it was pretty good, but we were at the same time as AIMCon. So, the timing wasn't super great on that, but we were like We're going to try again. We're going to try to make this work and figure out um, how we can incorporate the electronic music world into FemWave. And then just last year, we did it. Um, I remember specifically it was the second or third year that we'd had the basement at the Legion, uh, Royal Canadian Legion Number 1, open as well. First year was hip-hop karaoke with uh, Prairie Chola Ayatollah. Second year was a couple of other DJs. And then um, this last year, we had, uh, you know, local Queen DJ, uh, Big Kitty, Kim Lee Star, Kim Jev, Dushima, all of the names. Uh, She showed up and did it. She made it happen. And of course she did. And I went downstairs and it was like the dance party fun time in the ba- the basement of the Legion that we had been angling for, trying for a couple of years to get. Uh, and it was this beautiful dance party. Everybody was down there. And uh, unsurprisingly, I mean, she's an incredible DJ and has incredible taste in music and a great energy. And it was such a fun party. And we were like, yes, we did it. <laughs> we did a party. Um, so that would be my number one kind of on the electronic DJ side side of things for that it was amazing
3: thanks for sharing that memory and congratulations thanks. on funding drive congratulations on uh, femwave feminist music and arts festival thank you i'm uh um, yeah i'm really happy for you and thank you for being uh just so supportive and awesome and a great friend this year as uh, well
0: anytime and always anytime always a pleasure to come in and chat We've known each other for many, many years in different areas and different ways, and it's nice to kind of uh, reconvene here back at home at CJSW.
3: For the rest of today's program, we're in the mix with Chris B., the host of The Brutal and the Beautiful on 90.9 FM CJSW. I asked Chris to put together a mix of music representing the bloghouse era, and he didn't disappoint. Thanks for the memories, Chris.
1: Another killing on the dance floor. What? It's just a killing on the dance floor. Another killing on the dance floor. What? It's just a killing on the dance floor. Another killing on the dance floor. floor. What? Uh, It's just a killing on the dance floor. Another killing on the dance floor. What? Is you going on the ring for? Oh, no, no, no.
3: Episode 3 of Rave Dad's Diary is coming to a close. Rave Dad's Diary is written, produced, and hosted by Paul Brooks. The show is produced on Treaty 7 land at CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta. Season 1 theme music is Orchestral Lab by Guido, released on Punch Drunk Records. The Rave Dad's Diary logo is by Homesick. Tune in next week to hear my conversation with the Queen of Sass, Crystal Precious. Stay safe and we'll talk again next week. Crystal, you're joining me next week and we're going to be talking about the Dollhouse Studios that you helped Mm -hmm. found. But (laughs) this episode today is airing on October 31st on Halloween. And I'm wondering if you can tell me about the worst Halloween party experience of your life so far so
5: many i'm really terrible at halloween honestly (laughs) i always can't figure out what to be and then i panic um and generally halloween parties have been really messy and awful because you can't tell who is like a super fun friendly raver and who is just an asshole in a costume you know normally you could tell the difference but not on halloween um but there was one halloween party and i feel like it was a drum and bass party Uh, where I was actually very excited about my costume. And you as an aging raver or rave dad, someone old enough to have a child and also be a raver, there's lots of advantages to that. But one of the disadvantages is when the people who are raving at the party that you're at don't understand your amazing costume joke. And that's what happened to me because I dressed up as, wait for it, the B-Girl from the Blind Melon video, No Rain, and I was the perfect B-Girl, and I even had, like, little tap shoes and, like, the little heart thing, and I was so, so excited, except for then I ended up, you know, at Dollhouse supervising this part.